Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. It's the end of season one of The Leftovers, and we're diving deep into The Prodigal Son Returns. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I want you to make a wish on Big Squid. We've arrived at the end of season one of The Leftovers, and I found this episode really emotional to rewatch, especially as it reminded me of a lot of emotions I had when I first viewed it. We'll get into that in a second, but before we do, a quick reminder that our live Big Squid show is on May 2nd at 5pm at Giant Dwarf, and we're tackling the subject, can we still enjoy it? My friends and I will be discussing movies, music, children's books, and contrasting it with personal stories, and maybe ways to still enjoy a person's work, even if you don't particularly care for them. My guests for the show include Richard Fardler, Alice Fraser, Rove McManus, Ben Elwood, Angela Foipierre, AJ Lamar, Georgia Mooney, and Alexi Toliopoulos. You can find tickets at the Giant Dwarf website. Thanks for the great feedback on the Justice League podcast I released earlier this week. Ben and I are so glad we took our time on this one. We didn't want to lay down some hot takes without considering both versions of the movie, and it appears you really enjoyed that approach as well. If you did like Zack Snyder's movie, I hope we didn't burst your bubble too much. Remember, we much preferred seeing Snyder's vision than the awful hatchet job that Warner Brothers and Whedon, etc. made to the movie. But I guess when it comes to superheroes, we're just not big fans of the overwrought darkness. But, as I said, hopefully we brought some positivity towards it and we also had some fun with it. So, if you're a fan, we're still on your side for being a fan, if that makes sense. Thank you once again for the feedback and the kind words online. It is always appreciated. 
Let's talk leftovers. We're going to get stuck into episode 10 of season one, The Prodigal Son Returns. That night, three years ago, we looked at ourselves in the mirror and none of us wondered why we were still here. We knew. She knew if she did this, it'd hurt you. You can't help them. Yes, I can. I know I can because I'm supposed to. I think I may be a fraud. You're a good man. I most definitely am not. Kevin sits alone in the cabin in Cairo, New York. His only companion is Paddy, dead, lying in a pool of her blood after taking her life. Kevin smokes a cigarette alone with his thoughts. At the base of the guilty remnant, Jill smokes a cigarette while her mother, Laurie, looks at her. Laurie's thoughts are her own too. Her vow of silence stops her from expressing herself while her daughter defiantly chooses to be by her side. Tommy yells to Christine to feed her baby that cries in the back seat. The baby girl is hungry, but Christine is consumed with Holy Wayne lying to her. She knows she's not special. Tommy doesn't care. He vows to look after them, a new family unit brought together through circumstance. While Christine goes to the bathroom with her baby, a man approaches Tommy and asks him if he needs any help. Tommy says no and asks the man, do you just go around asking people if they need help? The man replies that he does do that and sometimes people accept it. Tommy suddenly hears the baby crying and rushes to the public bathroom to find the baby alone. Christine has dumped the baby and now this is all Tommy's responsibility. The guilty remnant have their plan to carry out, but Laurie is distracted by Jill being there. Laurie writes, not tonight, not safe, go home. But Jill refuses and Meg begins snapping her fingers in Laurie's face. It is time to go. The cult are ready. As Jill changes into the all-white uniform, Meg writes to her, at least you'll be together. Meg lost her mother the day before the sudden departure hit. Maybe this is what she wanted all along. We don't have time to wonder as the guilty remnant leave their base and begin to put their plan into action. The next morning, Mapleton wakes. There are figures in the street who are strangely still. Nora wakes and walks downstairs and discovers the guilty remnant's plan. They've had life-size mannequins of those who departed made and then had them positioned where they were last seen. Nora screams as the dead eyes of her foe family look on, positioned at the kitchen table, unmoving, indifferent to her pain. In Cairo, Kevin has another cigarette when a car approaches. Matt gets out of the car and they walk inside to see Paddy. Kevin is worried nobody will believe what happened, but Matt says that of course they will. Kevin is a good man. This is something Kevin has worried about and possibly doesn't believe. Matt wants to close Paddy's eyes, but Kevin reminds him that this is technically a crime scene. If Matt touches the body, then they're in this situation together. Matt closes her eyes, and together they dig a grave. Before they can bury her, Matt insists that Kevin reads a passage from the Bible. As far as Matt is concerned, this is part of his help for Kevin. He reads from the book of Job. But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. 
but he stands alone and who can oppose him? He does whatever he pleases. He carries out his decree against me and many such plans he still has in store. That is why I am terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Yet I am not silenced by the darkness, by the thick darkness that covers my face. As Kevin reads, the light of day, bright and yellow, surrounds him. Kevin takes water from Matt and cleans his hands, his face, his body. Out in the forest, he cleanses himself. Let's go home, Matt says. On the drive home, Kevin falls asleep, but when he wakens, two big burly men are pulling him from Matt's car. Matt yells to Kevin that he had to do this. The men drag Kevin into the asylum and throw him into a room by himself. Eventually, Kevin stops yelling, and while he sits on the mattress, a copy of the National Geographic is slipped into his cell with a note that reads, Stop fucking talking and they'll let you watch TV. Kevin is taken outside and presented to his father. I'm not fucking crazy, Kevin says to his dad. His father replies that this is the time to make something of themselves, that he wasn't a good man, but he has a purpose. He tells his son not to look around, but Kevin can't help himself, and when he turns, he sees Paddy waiting for him. She saunters over and straddles Kevin. On the TV, Perfect Strangers plays, but nobody is paying attention. Kevin doesn't understand what is happening. He knows he buried her, but she promises they'll be travelling companions from here on out. Kevin wakes back in Matt's car. He's pulled over to get some food. While they eat, Matt wants to know what Paddy said. Kevin tells Matt that Paddy told him that he understood why they didn't go and were left behind. He begins to cry as he admits to Matt that before that fateful day, he wanted to leave his family, that he wanted to be free. He also admits that he was with the woman who hit the deer when she departed. He wandered out into the street in his police uniform, everyone coming to him asking for help, but he didn't understand what was happening either. He raced to the school to find Jill and Tommy, and he knows they're so happy to see him. They go home and find Laurie, and he suddenly knows that he wants to be with them, and he cries, because he feels guilty. Matt tells him it isn't his fault, but deep down, Kevin knows he is wrong. Kevin goes to the bathroom to clean himself up, and hears a noise from the cubicle. When he opens the door, he finds Holy Wayne, bleeding out, about to die. Don't leave me alone, Wayne says. He wonders if he was always a fraud, that he didn't make a difference. But he asks Kevin for a favour. Make a wish, he says. You don't have to say it out loud, just think it. And if he can grant the wish, it will make a difference. Holy Wayne looks at Kevin and smiles. Granted, he says before dying. A SWAT team bursts in and throws Kevin to the ground. He stares into the dead eyes of Holy Wayne. Later, while he's questioned, Kevin asks who he was. He's told he's just another guy who thinks he's God. Matt and Kevin drive back to Mableton, arrive as night has fallen. At first the town seems strange and then suddenly all hell breaks loose. People running around holding mannequins, people with guns firing at cult members. Kevin finds Meg tied up and asks her what happened. She writes, we made them remember. Kevin races to the homes of the guilty remnant where the buildings are on fire, the flames lighting the night sky. Kevin immediately goes into work mode and attempts to mobilise his fellow officers, but the town has sunk into madness over the course of the day. The old couple throw the mannequin of their son onto the fire, the poor boy who had Down syndrome, his parents yelling, how dare you? Kevin watches the face of the mannequin as it is consumed by the fire. Kevin races to the buildings and sees Laurie being dragged out by a townsperson who wants to cause her harm. Kevin frees Laurie and grabs her. She speaks for the first time in years and yells, Jill! 
Kevin immediately understands what is happening and races into the burning building looking for his daughter. Some members of the guilty remnant sit in the flames ready for their judgment. Others have already passed out from smoke inhalation. Kevin pushes through and finds Jill. He lifts her up and runs out of the building, his daughter limp in his arms. As Jill is given medical attention, he looks at Laurie, who returns his gaze. How have they come to this? The guilty remnant buildings continue to burn, the black smoke dissipating into the night sky. The next morning, Nora holds the hands of the mannequins that look like her children. She looks at the grotesque version of her husband. Is he any different to the man she thought she knew? She takes the children up to their beds and lays them to rest and then begins to pack a car. She writes a note to Kevin to say goodbye. Laurie stumbles through the town and finds herself looking out at the water. She is lost. Her decisions nearly cost the life of her daughter, who she still loves very much. Where does she go from here? She turns around to see Tommy, her son. Maybe there is still hope. Kevin and Jill walk home, holding hands, father and daughter. The dog Kevin tried to rehabilitate appears out of nowhere and approaches Kevin. He is uncertain at first, but when he bends down, the dog sidles up alongside him and Kevin runs his hand across the muscular but dirty body. Nora drives to Kevin's home to leave the note. She tells him she needs to say goodbye to someone who is still here. She wanted to believe she could be close to someone again, but she fears she is a coward. In the end, she found a family right where she left them and right where they left her. Nora has come to the conclusion she can't be repaired. She walks up the steps to leave the note slipped under Kevin's door, and when she arrives, she notices something to one side. It's a baby. It's Christine's baby, left there by Tommy. She picks up the little girl just as Kevin, Jill and their dog arrive home. Nora smiles. Maybe she can be repaired. Look what I found, Nora says. She didn't find just a baby. She found a reason to live a life. And in finding Kevin, he too has found a reason to live a proper life as well. So when this finale first aired, I was convinced this was the end of the story. It hadn't rated well. I didn't know anyone else at the time who was watching it. And I figured if this is all we're going to get, you know what? I'm content. Even more than that, I was wrapped. There felt like there was plenty more story to tell, but if this was it, all the story beats that I needed answered were tied up beautifully. I didn't need to see Kevin and Nora together to know they now had a fighting chance of finding happiness. The look on Nora's face at the end, a smile that is unburdened by the past, is all the optimism I need. And then they announced the second season was coming along, and I was wrapped. (laughs) And I wanted more. (laughs) But this would have been a fine ending if this is where it finished. There are so many powerful moments in this episode. Nora's silent scream when she discovers the mannequins arranged at her table is gut-wrenching. The choice to play it silently is perfect. Imagining what that would sound like is so much more painful. Matt telling Kevin he's a good man is heartbreaking because you know Kevin doesn't believe him. How can Kevin believe him when he knows what he was once thinking? How those thoughts and actions have led to this place? Later in the diner, Kevin confesses his sins. They're almost too much to bear. Who hasn't wondered whether they're a good person or not? If you're lucky to live long enough, you will end up at some point hurting people and in turn being hurt. It is a part of the human condition to experience all of these emotions. To continue growing, you have to learn to live with the life that has come your way and learn from your mistakes. You can be hurt to such an extent that it fuels your decisions in the future, the choices you make. And in turn, you can then hurt people. It is easy to forget that when you hurt someone, it is more often than not a mistake, an uninformed decision that you didn't realise just how it could play out. 
And those mistakes that people make toward you are usually coming from a similar place of pain and confusion. For a stretch of my life, from my mid-30s to early 40s, I had trouble expressing the turmoil that threatened to drown out the person I wanted to be, the person that I aspired to be. I had made decisions which were made in good faith and then couldn't understand why they had failed me so badly. I withdrew further into myself, way down inside until I wondered if I would ever be capable of finding my way back to the world. It is easy to live life with your eyes closed, your ears blocked and your heart hidden. But what is the point? To experience the best in life, you have to connect with the terrible and make your peace with how you will make your way forward. Sometimes you will stumble, but it is important to stand tall and walk with conviction to wherever you want to go. Hearing Laurie speak for the first time in years, and God, when she finally does, it is to yell her daughter's name as the fire rages uncontrollably in the background, and it is powerful. It is such a powerful moment. As Kevin holds Laurie, this feels like every little moment their relationship has been heading to, and in the end, they still have their daughter to bring them together, even as the world around them burns. It is easy to dismiss Laurie because she still lets the guilty remnant carry out their despicable plan, but in the end she is also a victim who has allowed events to once again get ahead of her and dictate what must happen next. You can tell as she walks through the park and looks up at the statue of the baby that she too is lost, and she lost something that was growing inside of her, that was a part of her, that filled her with turmoil and then suddenly was gone. And you can't begin to imagine the guilt that she must feel about that. When she looks out at the calmness of the blue water and is rewarded with her son returning home, it is the first time you have hope for Laurie. And also Tommy, finally reunited with his mum after the terrible burden he's been living with in recent months. This is the person that he needs to find at this precise moment as well. Matt ends up being the perfect person for Kevin, even if he is still fueled by a desire to answer a greater calling that probably doesn't exist. But he believes in Kevin and that is what Kevin needs. Matt makes Kevin read from the book of Job, a tale about a supreme power acting in ways that seem cruel to man to help him find his way forward. And Kevin needs all the help he can get, because even if this were the final episode, you know those dreams and blackouts aren't going anywhere. Kevin wonders if he is a good man, and maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Maybe he's just a person. Kevin is a man of action, though, and he doesn't think twice before racing into a raging fire to save Jill. When he speaks to Meg, he recognises that she has become a true believer in the cult, but he doesn't understand why. He just knows what needs to be done in this moment, and that is to save his daughter. Does this make him a good man? I don't know. In an episode of TV that is so full of moments that I could have easily burst into tears at any point, I finally lost it when the dog Kevin tried to rehabilitate approached him. Remember the dogs that saw people depart had all grown crazy, but if this animal that had lost its mind on that fateful day could find a new level of peace, then maybe Kevin can as well. Was that the wish he made with Holy Wayne? Wayne was a fascinating character, especially since in the end he too questioned if he were a fraud. In a world that is 2% supernatural, there is a possibility that Wayne did have powers. I personally think that he just needed something to believe in before he died, his last thoughts comforting before he became one with eternity. But he granted Kevin his wish. So what was the wish? 
If the wish were granted, it didn't pan out exactly. Laurie isn't at the home and neither is Tommy. Mapleton is in shock and will be for a long while as it recovers from this moment of terror. His father is still insane. Matt's wife is still incapable of talking. He's still haunted by the demons that reside in his dreams and now take on the face of Paddy. So what could he have possibly wished for? Kevin tells Matt that he believes the good people were taken away and left behind the bad people. He wrestles with this question in his subconscious in the form of a needling from his father. There are still good people in this world. Nora struggles with this as well. She believes herself to be a coward for not following through with Kevin, that she needs to run away to find herself or at least find a new version of herself. How can she be a good person when she was yelling at her children the last time she ever saw them? How can she be enough when her husband was having an affair before he disappeared? Nora comes at these questions from a different direction, but she's in the same pain that Kevin is in, and they recognize that in each other. So maybe the wish Kevin made was to find some peace of mind, a moment where everything makes sense and he can catch his breath, fill his lungs with air and exhale until his shoulders lose their tension and his mind is free. Holy Wayne might have been a charlatan, and maybe Kevin isn't quite rewarded with what he wished for. But as he stands there holding the hand of his daughter, with the dog he has successfully brought back to normal through the simple act of kindness, looking at the woman he has fallen in love with, who in turn is as damaged as he is, when she holds the baby and looks at Kevin and says with such a beautiful smile, look what I found, just maybe Kevin's wish has come true. Let's get into the squid bits. God damn, I really could have just cried all the way through this episode. <laughs> and uh, I was saying earlier in the uh, in the intro that it kind of brought up all these memories from uh, when I first watched it. And um, I guess those main lot of memories was, oh, this is it. <laughs> There's no more of this show. And then it turned out there was, but it was funny to re-experience that specific idea was, oh, well, this is the end. And at the time, it felt like a really good ending. And who would have thought that seasons two and three would be better? They're better. And I love this season. This is not denigrating this season, but the next two seasons are spectacular. One of my favourite episodes of any TV show is in the next season. Anyway, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's get back to the squid bits. Some great use of music in this episode, including Nina Simone's Do Not Leave Me playing while Kevin smokes a cigarette next to Paddy's lifeless body. Also, an orchestral version of Metallica's Nothing Else Matters plays as Laurie and the Guilty Remnant put their plan into play. One of the loved one's mannequins is cleaning the gutter, which is what Kevin claimed in the pilot that he was doing at the time of the sudden departure. We also see the mannequin of the father who disappeared when pushing the shopping trolley. On the drive back to Mableton, you can hear a report about Wayne exchanging fire with the ATVEC agents as he tried to stage a daring escape. When Paddy talks to Kevin in the dream, the director of the episode, Mimi Leader, told Ann Dowd to kiss Kevin at some point, but they didn't tell Justin Thoreau that it would happen. The Tom and Christine scene adapts material from the book's final chapter. In the book, Tom and Christine are on their way to visit his family in Mapleton before heading to Ohio to take Christine home to her family. Uh, Christine is even more distant to the baby in the book. Kevin's guilt about wanting to be free of his family is similar to the letter Nora writes in the book. Kevin and Wayne don't meet in the book. Wayne is alive 
in the book, but incarcerated after taking a plea. Uh, Wayne supposedly being able to grant wishes and having ties to Russia are inventions of the show. The Guilty Remnants plot and the riots are also inventions of the show. Laurie regularly breaks her vow of silence when talking to Meg in the book, uh, but the first time she breaks it in public is when she's handing Kevin the divorce papers and she says, I'm sorry. The power of Wayne's hugs wearing off is consistent with how they work in the novel, and also Matt only appears twice in the book, which is quite interesting. He's such an important character in the TV series. It's funny that he only really has two appearances. You're on... Uh, If this is your first time watching, by the way, you're on a hell of a journey with Matt. He's such a fascinating character and just great work by Eccleston. The Meg and Laurie relationship is very different in the book. You know what? It's actually way too complex to go into. Uh, Just trust me, if you read the book, you'll be quite surprised as to where it goes. It's kind of... Maybe it's kind of darker. It's... uh, And definitely a little bit more dramatic. Anyway... Uh, if you you haven't read the book, it's really worthwhile reading, A, because it's great, but also that part of it is really fascinating. Uh, The Nora and Kevin stuff is quite different too, but there are enough similarities that you can see it as a blueprint for what they do in the TV show. I have to say, I prefer the TV version of their relationship, especially with where we are headed next. And that brings us to the end of season one of The Leftovers. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have uh, enjoyed producing these podcasts for you. I'm going to try and start season two next week. But I know there's a certain Alexi Toliopoulos who is dying to talk about the start to the next season, specifically the first five to seven minutes off the top of my head. I can't quite remember how long it goes. But we've talked about this in the past and he's super keen to uh, come back on the podcast and chat about that. So I'll try to record with him before that episode is due. If we miss a week, it'll only be next week. I'm just kind of juggling a few jobs at the moment and trying to get someone uh, to, you know, line up with your schedule to record something can sometimes be a bit tricky. But I'll let's not put that in writing. I'll let you know in the the Tuesday episode what we're going to do. I'm keen to get straight into it, to be honest. I don't want to wait. I know what's about to happen. I'm I'm dead keen (laughs) to get right into season two. Uh, If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us and come over to our Facebook page to share your thoughts about season one of The Leftovers. Don't forget to head to Giant Dwarf where you can find tickets for our next live show on May 2nd as well. Let's finish with a quote from Tom Perotta who wrote this in his book, The Leftovers. That's why we get involved with other people, right? Not just for their bodies, but for everything else too. Their dreams and their scars and their stories. Until then. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.